Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Necessary Bullshit Podcast. This is episode 20, and I guess who I have with me to do housekeeping this time? It's Ian. Yes, he's finally Myself, here. Myself, here and now. Yeah, what's nice about me having the recording equipment is I just usually get to do it on my own, so he doesn't get to join in, but this yeah, time... But we're, yeah, we're recording our next episode, number... 21 exactly so, yeah, so this is episode 20 um you are in the right place if that's the one you clicked on and the reason we're doing a housekeeping is we just want to cover a few things um, the first is that we're so excited that this is our very first episode with guests um so we actually really great yeah. it was it was yeah. great it was a learning process and because it was a learning process and our first time we just want to go over kind of the editing um the sound quality and obviously let you know who we're speaking to today yeah. um so as regards to editing um our guests also have a podcast, and they're also going to be releasing this for their their 25th episode, I yeah. believe. And so it'll be our 20th, their 25th episode. It'll come we, out at the same day. Yeah, also. it's going to yeah. come out at the same time, so nobody has to worry about that. But if you want to know the episode numbers, that's what that is. And so we have kind of planned to where they kind of have the version that they recorded. We have the version that we recorded. Mm -hmm. um, and the only reason they're going to be different is because we've both decided to kind of do our own editing on each of the episodes. So... We thought it would keep it fresh. That means that you know you wouldn't be hearing the exact same episode on either of our podcasts. So you can definitely go and listen to both of them because there is going to be kind of just a different variation on editing. But the context of the episode is com is is going to be there in entirety. Just uh, different stuff being said and cut out and all that fun stuff. Because as edit, you know, as you when you have guests yeah. for the first time, you have that nervousness to get over and right, yeah, yeah. And, and and yeah, and that's the thing too is that we should know. So it was a Skype call. Um, our guests are from Illinois, so they've got two hours ahead of us. And so when, you know, as you're listening to it, there may be some little bit of latency going on. Just want to make you aware of that. And because of the nature of that and the nature of the conversation that, we're, that we uh, are having in this episode, just personally, my preparedness uh, was for maybe a little bit something slightly different. Either way, I think it turned it out. I think it turned out well. Um, and so I really hope, uh, you guys enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So today we are speaking with Anna and Bonnie and they both run the Freudian Sips podcast. Yeah. Now, if you're unfamiliar with them, it's basically a mother and daughter duo. They both have master's degrees and they're both practicing counselors. Yeah. Um, and so because they're both practicing counselors, they get together, they sip on some wine and they talk everything psychology. So uh, as I told Ian, we're fans of podcasts that are info like informational in a very casual sense. And fun. And fun. So these girls have a lot of fun. They have a lot of solid information on their podcast. So you should go check them out. Uh, all of their handles are at Freudian Sips Pod. Um, and obviously FreudianSipsPod.com, uh, I believe. Yeah, correct. Too, yeah. As well, so. And then, um, yeah, again, the Freudian Sips Pod is their Twitter handle, as Josh was alluding to. And then you can also tweet out Anna, um, the uh, daughter of mm -hmm. the duo, at Anna Gramming. Yep. So without further ado, guys, here is our episode on populism with our special guests, Bonnie and Anna. This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. We're going by pure honor. So you guys go first. That's like going opposite of the social norm of ladies going first. And that's kind of how we <laughs> are. So Yes, norm. let's that's, break yeah, these social it. norms. Go <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Hello. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is strange. Okay. So 
All right. We <laughs> What is that you, you did you forget your name, Ian? Do you not know? Yeah, I have no are? idea what my name is. I okay, how about this? Amnesia. We'll let the handsome one in the room start. Hello everyone. I am Josh Simpson. <laughs> And uh, it's a pleasure to be on the Forty and Sips podcast because obviously, as uh, Ann and I have talked before, we we've been going back and forth, and I feel like we've just been doing our podcast episodes to each other. So it's about time that we just record one together. Yeah, might as well. Yeah, and I'm Ian Savage. Uh, you know me also from the Necessary Bullshit podcast. Did I see even say I was from the Necessary Bullshit? Po- I don't I even think, think I you did. did, but you know who knows? Okay, I, I don't remember three <laughs> seconds behind. Well, you know, now like you do goldfish. know. So yeah. glad you guys went first. <laughs> yep, yeah, we're just butchering this. But you know what, though? In honor of the sippage, we actually got some whiskey. Yep, um, so. so we're here to, 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 to sip with you guys. Ooh. Yeah. That's good. Takes so. the edge off. Yeah. After a long, days. long, hard day of... We're, we're very nervous to talk to you guys. So we're we are. We're Twitter paid. Little liquored up. Twitter. Little liquored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah. Twitter yeah, paid I mean, on Twitter is good. Yeah. I know it was no really nerves. funny because when Anna and I were doing the testing and, and I think Anna was like, you know, Bonnie was going to make it, but I still think that she's a touch nervous. And I'm like, she has nothing <laughs> to be nervous about. We're a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just the biggest fool in the room right now. You know, it's, you know, when Josh was telling me about your guys' uh, shout out, first shout out to us, which are t- too many. You guys are too freaking nice. And, uh, you know, he was saying that, uh, you guys. well, yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice. I told I told you. I said it's it was a nice, a nice competition. Yeah. And know. once you have competition, that's that's in the context of of being nice. Then it, that's great. That's the perfect yeah. context to have competition. But no, time. you know, when Bonnie was saying that she was just intimidated, you know, by by us, I was just like, God, what is she talking about? Like, I'm just a big dummy. <laughs> yeah, but have you seen dummy. your face? I mean, it's just like you're trying that mustache thing out. I'm sorry. I, I there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. 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 You look <laughs> like you ride a hair. look like you ride a moped, but you try to convince everybody that you're a biker. You know. <laughs> i don't have the tattoos though i like get the henna tattoos you know to and sleeve it up all the way yeah. oh my lint okay i think we're over set now it's anyway. your guys's turn to to share who you oh. are as we're opening yeah who are you guys yeah yeah i know we i guess we can just do some editing or i might just release everything that we're doing just because it's yeah. a lot of we fun. usually go pretty unedited with ours so the ours mm. is heavily edited to yeah. smarter than we are so <laughs> hello 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 <laughs> We and, sound kind of like. And welcome to a crossover event. Oh, is that what this is called? It's is a that what you kids event. call this? It is. Yeah, that. Like the well, X, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And we are from Floridian and Sips. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we are so excited to be talking to you guys We're today. honored. We're, we are. This, I am a little starstruck, a little bit. I know. It's, oh, that's no, what it feels like. I know you that can't. we also have a podcast, but when I like talk to someone else who has a podcast, I'm like, oh, they're famous. Yes. Oh, they're famous and yeah, they're get... talking to me. I mean, I don't know. Is 400 followers famous at this point? I mean, hey, have it's it's, it's climbing there. You know, we've I think we're almost. What have we looked at? We're we're close to a thousand. Almost downloads. a thousand downloads. Almost a thousand downloads. Yeah. Um, so oh, it's wow. yeah, yeah. So we're getting there. We're 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 kind of getting there. But we're I'm also excited too. Today I worked uh, today from 11 to three, and uh, I'm just going around okay. telling all my coworkers. I'm like, yeah, I got a Skype conversation coming on with the the 40 and Sips gals, and they're like, what the hell is that? And I was like, well, let me tell you what that is. Yeah. Um, oh. yeah, so I've been, I've been sending you, you gals all to my coworkers, especially the ones I know that enjoy like, you know, podcasts where, you know, I know, there, you know, there was a guy I was working with yesterday and, and I was telling him about populism specifically. And he was like, well, what's populism? I'm like, well, you could tune into my next episode of the podcast that I'm doing, 
with these great gals have over a Freudian sips and then you'd find out. See, I love that we all took like a humble approach and then you just like hit them with the pride yeah. pride <laughs> rifle. You're just like, you can listen to it on our podcast. Yeah. I'm not going to talk to you about it now. Yeah. Well, it's you know, like unless you have to, you're in the club. Yeah, exactly. You just have to plug it just enough. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah. So I guess we case. should probably tell everybody what we're doing here today. I mean, as much as they love for us to, to just to, to, to chat and have a fun time. Um, I mean, we could just have an episode about that. I have to go. I'm <laughs> sorry, we can't be here if it's we not that fun. And that, you know what? That's yeah. that's just I the episode. That's it. We're we're ending it here. That's just uh, yeah. We and know, we know what we're doing, but you should tell them what we're doing just right. so we, to make sure you <laughs> just know. so we know. No, you're totally right. Yeah, I will say I what we're no. no so uh, I feel like today because we're going to combine our com- our strengths. So I think that, you know, we, I was really curious. I, I don't know if you, I listened to the daily, which is the New York times podcast. I listened to that, um, uh, with, with Michael Barbaro. It's about 30 minutes every day and it's very, very informative. Heavy and, virtue signaling right now. No, I'm not. It's important because, <laughs> uh, they had a weak segment on the rise of populism and the European union. And more specifically, Poland is already kind of ran by a populist state and you have France that's moving towards populism. And I think there's like 30% of the EU is starting to switch towards a populist kind of, uh, you know, like going down that route. Yeah. And so you're just see a growing rise in populism in Europe. And then you kind of come back here with what we have going on with Trump and his uh, sense of populism. What, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> just, just, just for those who maybe are a little confused right now. Sure, you're sure. You, you said, let's play for strengths and you proceeded to go right to our weakness. Oh my God, you're totally right. No, so, <laughs> I think what Josh is meaning I was going to get. I was going to get to that. That we were going to cover the political and philosophical oh. aspects and then you guys oh. were going to cover oh, the okay. psychological okay. aspects. Yeah. I know. He just, he has the problem like just dry just in. Smash yeah. it what is not, what, what is not our strength and let everyone figure it out you know when i was at, when i was a kid you know those toys where you have to put the square in the square and the exit no i just cut it all the way in half and just put whatever i wanted in there yeah. and closed it back up it's... yeah so no i i think i think what josh is trying to say i just got excited is that yeah i know he's very excited he's just like jumping um yeah i know what, what would you do without me um translate that, our little translator. yeah i think i think the rise of populism says something about the kind of uh, m- maybe not global, but like certainly like national psychology, you know, that we find in certain places where it's on the rise. You know, there are people feeling a certain way, especially towards immigration and other issues where we have these sort of both right and left wing uh, people kind of rising to power where they're really grasping on to the kind of, uh, you know, to the feel of the people. And so I think what would be interesting is to cover sort of you know, this political philosophical lens on, on our end and kind of get your guys's psychological background to maybe help reinforce, like, and figure out what exactly is going on. Yeah. Like echo, echo chambers, mom and tell you, know, and I promise I was eventually getting there. I just love to hear the sound of my own voice. So I was just taking a longer pathway, <laughs> a longer pathway, eventually kind of getting to that. Yeah. That, get over it. Yeah. And the, cause I think, spotlight today yeah that's true i can't just be the josh show with my with my yeah, yeah. but you know because what i think too and you know obviously from you know psychology standpoint as well is, is is populism is very predicated on the rhetoric that is used and you know the rhetoric towards the problems of the rhetoric towards the people and and with mob mentality and echo chambers and how basically people are just influenced by that particular rhetoric i think it'd be good to get some insight on you know obviously you know from from what you guys have your strengths if that's your strengths. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Strengths. Yes. Strengths. Yes. Moms are stressed. Moms already taking notes. I'm taking notes, boys. I'm taking notes. Okay. That's okay. Good. Yep. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. No, that's that's solid. So, I was thinking that uh, let's start. I was going to take a page out of Anna's book, and I did a little history, a political history of populism um, that I figured. Yeah, so I figured, you know, you, you gals are kind of used to this, and feel free, anybody, to just jump in if, if anything kind of... Anytime. You know, like, if he's yeah. sounding just... You just can't stand his voice if, anymore. Yeah, if anybody jumps... Let him know. You know. <laughs> so, um, basically, the origins I have here is, is from, from the 1860s to the 1890s, the U.S. population practically doubled. Um, and then by the late 19th century, decades following the Civil War, there was massive growth in America. Now... Basically, America was expanding from the east to the west, and a lot of it had to do with farming and the fact that farmers couldn't actually keep up with the production of the growing population and everybody moving and, and doing their thing. And so because of the fact that they couldn't keep up with the, with the production of it, they basically had to invest in, in better technology for their farms in order to keep up with production, which they had to take out a series of loans. And because of that, the, actually the price of crops shot down and decreased um, as of May of 1891. All kind of hell broke loose when it came to a lot of people defaulted on their loans. They couldn't act on that. And then, like I said, in 1891, the, the, the farmers all gathered together. And that was the first time that the populist our populist, the, the, the term was coined. They created a populist party. Oh, interesting. And, yeah, it initiated with farmers um, just basically struggling when Those America expanded. Yeah, agriculture. Did they actually call them the populist party at that point? Were they, they did. Tit- I, they, were they have a title? They did. So it was, the, it was the populist party, and apparently at the time it was of the people was, there, was the slogan. Like, we're the populist oh. party of the people. Oh. We're getting into the thing that you talked about, about rhetoric and how we phrase things and how we name things and word things, because obviously you're going to hear that name and be like, oh, yeah, I like that. I am the people. Mm-hmm. Inherently relatable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it even gets kind of crazy because a year later in 1892, when the party started to get, uh, you know, really moving forward. I mean, tell me if this kind of just pseudo reminds you of how history has a tendency of repeating itself and what we're going through now when her name was Mary Ellen Lease, And she said, and I quote, this was back in 1892. She said this, she said a government of wall street by wall street and for wall street. <laughs> and that was their populist uh, attack on basically attacking wall street and, and not supporting the, the mega people. So it makes me think of occupy wall street, yeah. you know, and, and even during that time, I'm oh. sure in the, in the 1800s, Bernie Sanders was out there telling people we need to, <laughs> he was protesting yeah. Wall Street. He's, he's, he's got to be that old, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so the original that was a political joke that we understood. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> nice. Do not encourage him. I guess now he's gonna. <laughs> now I'm rolling. So yeah, yeah no. funny. <laughs> so continuing on, they said that. Uh, so in the early stages of the populist movement, they had some major goals. So one of their goals was they wanted to establish labor unions to make sure that basically workers had, you know, they weren't overworked. They had, you know, they were advocates for the eight hour workday, which is linked into the labor unions. That was the populist movement that started that. They wanted uh, regulation on the transportation industry because apparently it was the monopoly of the railroads. It was the increase in transportation that also ate up a lot of their costs. Gotcha. Yeah. And why Populism you... at this point is starting to sound like a euphemism from socialism. <laughs> Direct elections of senators. And <laughs> they were, and uh, they wanted yeah. a progressive income tax and they were, they were actually uh, fighting for women's suffrage as well. Hmm. 
again, I am in favor of this. I know this is that part. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So this is why it's like, we're going to, we're going to get to the point where when did populism take such a scary turn? You know, it's like, I feel like I'm reading a Hitchcock novel. We're just, you know, or a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it says, and also in 1892, they nominated James B. Weaver for presidency. So he ran uh, under the populist party in 1892. And what was fascinating is that even at that time, he surprisingly got 8% of the votes and he took five States. Wow. Yes. Being independent. A a little startup. He had a lot of gumption. He did. And so I think again, like you said, (laughs) just that, that rhetoric of be president. (laughs) 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 Then in 1894, they got eight, members into congress um yeah and then basically what happened is is that you had nationalism and racism that kind of joined into the mix once they got into congress and that's when things started to get a touch muddy oh no racism (laughs) (laughs) we're not gonna focus we're not gonna focus is winning we gotta stop it so apparently um, quietly oh no no so here's the no this is what i'm saying this is gonna get crazy so by 1896 the populist party still in the 19th century yes i know this is all just all the good and the bad things so in in 1896 the populist movement realign themselves with the Democratic Party. So this is the first time that they actually kind of have been a part of the Democratic Party, which they nominated William J. Bryant for president. And that caused a riff because at the time he was opposing the Republican Lincoln who was fighting for for civil rights. So it's interesting that populists joined with the Democratic Party. And at the time it was the Republican Party that was fighting for equality and civil rights. And it basically caused a riff between... African-American populists and, and a lot of, you know, people that agreed with the idea of populism as a whole and, you know, the right. contra- the contradictions of how that works where it's like, yeah, we're going to get like, you know, Ian and I talked about that in liberalism where it's like, oh, everybody has an equal opportunity. Well, except for you and you and you. And yeah. you're like, well, that doesn't seem well, fair. We want to have a liberal equal mm-hmm. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just fascinating to me in general, just to learn that it was, you know, started out with the, the you know, Democratic Party, but it was the Republican Party that was fighting for what the Democratic Party's fighting for now. And it's just it's crazy how history has just switched roles within right. within our political right. system. Yeah, because you can even look back, you know, at the, you know, old school Democratic Party. We can argue how much they've changed, but you know, they you know, they used to be very close to the KKK. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, we're just yeah, getting so, into dangerous anyway, territory. I love it. Yeah. Mm, okay, <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, not gonna talk a lot about that. Let's move on. Let's yeah. move. No, Good idea. Go on Good idea. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So we're gonna move on. <laughs> so obviously. <laughs> so the uh, we have um, basically is it's Huey Long. He's a Louisiana governor and senator. Um, is that he, like a southern uh, twang that you just tried to do? I was saying that one song. Didn't Huey Lewis? Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Huey Lewis. Oh, yeah, and Huey Long. I I was thinking of Howie Long too, who was a who was a sports commentator. Guy. Oh, well, the oh, I'm we're no, not Howie Mandel. Yeah. Oh, we need to make. One of those timelines again, where you put where people are, you know, like the six degrees of what? Okay, never mind. Oh yeah, Sorry, six boys, degrees didn't of separation. Idea. No, 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 no. You're too t- much. You're regretting having us here already. <laughs> we're weird. <laughs> no, no, that's totally fine. See, that's the problem. We're just riffing, like I told you. I mean, we we literally have bullshit in our podcast name. I mean, it's it's just inevitable. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so- I am. 
I'm dressed for the occasion, by the way. I'm wearing a, a shirt that says Transcend the Bullshit. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing my Nietzsche shirt. And so I'm, I'm literally just wearing all black. I don't know. I look like a stagehand at a concert. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> You're trying to sneak up on us. <laughs> get drunk on us. <laughs> not, so, not in a gross way. <laughs> not a gross. Yeah, so in a nice way. Ian, oh my God, your Thank jokes. You. Yeah. yeah, I know. That, I tell you what, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't nervous to talk to you guys. I was nervous to let Ian loose. So, um... <laughs> when we did our sound test, where you just have him like tied up in a back room, uh-huh. we were like, oh, yeah. can't a really be here. Dark room, know. you know, in a cage, and like he had to wait till the last second to get me in here. So he was saying that, uh, so, so Howie Long, Louisiana governor and senator, is d- doing Huey. Sorry, Huey. Now Huey. I got Howie in my head. <laughs> yeah. so, oh, my God. <laughs> it's the power of my mind. Yeah. Huey Lewis. <laughs> Huey Lewis. <laughs> and, yeah. We're running for yeah, more, you know, instead and, uh, of Professor Rice, so, it's and they, Yeah, Huey Lewis and the News, and they use the power of love to get the populist <laughs> votes. <laughs> so. Yeah, so apparently what he did during the Great Depression, he was a left-wing populist who basically kind of addressed a lot of real problems that the people were faced at the time, which, I mean, I I don't know. The Great Depression didn't look that bad to me. (laughs) It's all a matter of perspective. Yeah, I hope people can really get the sarcasm in my voice because people will be like, Josh is such a, you know, yeah, yeah, why don't you go back and live in the Great Depression, you you ass? (laughs) Freaking live turn. Yeah. (laughs) um and then basically what and what's interesting about him he picked up popularity because again look at how this resonates with what's going on in our culture today so he said you know during the great depression when he was it was basically said he demanded a radical redistribution of wealth from the richest to the poorest his plan was called share our wealth which would put a maximum income cap Right to the, uh, I'm gonna say the figure that's adjusted for inflation in our modern terms of 50 million. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So he wanted a maximum income cap of 50 million, not you know obviously inflated. So that's 50 million in our like concept of of currency. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, but I you know 50 so million a lot probably also in their concept of currency a lot. Oh yeah, sure. But here's the fun part. Oh, this is not fun. Sorry, I read the wrong line. This yeah. is gonna sound terrible now. <laughs> He was going to run for president in 1936, but was assassinated before he could do it. So I didn't mean, oh, no. I didn't mean to say fun. I didn't mean to say fun. <laughs> it was fun for the people that didn't like him very much. I tell you what, though, I would, I would be honored, like, because for me, if to somebody, if some, well, could, no, yes, say? because if somebody kills me, it's just a murder. Like, I would love to be, uh, have the high enough status to where if somebody no, no, kills no. me, if it's an assassination. Kills, you have a podcast. If someone kills you, you are assassinated. <gasps> uh-huh. Oh, that's true. Oh. You're Although you're it's famous. more likely going to be me who's assassinated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do get a lot of the bizarre followers. Yeah, uh, there was. Gosh, yeah. are you going to be assassinated I won't, I won't by get into Josh? It, that's know. what it's sounding like right now. No, I should probably, yeah, I should probably not promote that. I'm just like, no, I just, I think, I think it's an <laughs> honor. What? It's an honor to achieve a status. About that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the it fact works. is, it's interesting. Right. What what really does classify a murder from an assassination? Like, is it just political, or can you assassinate like a like a like a sports figure? If someone ever ever kills me, I'm gonna you're I'm gonna, gonna have the word spread that I was assassinated. You're gonna say assassinated. Yeah, yeah. So it's so in the psychological terms, if you kill a counselor, that is an assassination. It, like, wouldn't that be premeditated? I just, I just want to use it because it has the word ass in it twice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it looks like the liquor's kicking in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, 
actually surprisingly not. That's yeah, just no, that's me. only three shot Anna. She's that's got a little ways to go. <laughs> Is that all? Yeah. It's just broadcasting our level of nervous. Yeah, yeah I know. Okay, so where is this going? I, we're so, almost done. I'm I promise. Curious, yeah. we're, okay, so in the, 19, in the 1950s, you might be familiar with a man named Joseph McCarthy. Uh, he was Never one of the, of so this is where it gets interesting. The 1950s is the pivotal moment that the populist went from left wing into right wing. So Joseph McCarthy was the first person to actually bring the populist rhetoric or using populism in a right wing context against communism. And he was basically saying that, like, I, I know I fight for the common man. Like, these are communism. I know what's right for you. Basically, he was appeasing to the common people. And he was using basically fear mongering of communism to be able to further his his propaganda and his agenda. But I mean, it's interesting, too, because that, that was kind of back, you know, back in the day, too, when it was not. You know, wealth hadn't fully transitioned to the people yet. There was still throughout the global wealth, per se. There was still, you know, either remblance of monarchies or remblance of, of hierarchies that had money before. I think it wasn't until it wasn't until the late, I think, 1950, 1956, 1957, around then when the, the wealth transitioned to where more independent people were wealthy. Um, right. Yeah, we actually in our last episode on liberalism, we just had a statistic that Josh pulled out of his ass that was talking about how there was well the first um, uh, global uh, ship containers uh, started shipping, but um, it was basically this big transition into kind of kickstarting globalization and uh, and wealth then became a lot more uh, accessible to a lot more people. All right, so I'm gonna <laughs> let me just truncate the rest of this so we can get into some juice stuff. So in the 1960s, basically the Alabama governor George Wallace um, used populist rhetoric to promote segregation. So again, that's not fun. This is where it started to <laughs> no, it is not. to kind of go towards the negative route because again, he was trying to the fight for the for the basically the common man. And then there's also Barack Obama with his health care policies were were a touch populist in the way for the people. Um, and then as far as economic policies goes, a progressive. So Bernie Sanders is also has used uh, his his political rhetoric of of the last time he ran uh, paralleled the populist movement of 1890s. He wanted a progressive estate tax. He wanted to double minimum wage. He wanted to improve paid leave and medical leave for families. So very parallel. And then we move to November uh, 2016, where Donald Trump. Basically, Donald Trump was using high populist rhetoric, basically saying that anybody that wasn't him was the elite, um, and he was speaking for the people. Really interesting that both sides are using it. Yeah, so you know, we we I looked up it's is okay. I had to I had to write my own phonetic shorthand because he's a French man, and, and Ian always makes fun of my pronunciation. So I have Jan Vera Mueller. That sounds German. I read that yeah. really German. Why yeah. did, it's the young yeah, Let me see, let me see what, your, what do your notes say. Sorry, that's his real name spelling right there. That's my that's my phonetic shorthand. Yeah, it looks like, okay. Well, looks while like he's con- correcting your pronunciation, is Populist still a party? It is not. Like, okay. Yeah, so it emerged with the Democratic Party back in the day, and then right. now populism so has just. It wasn't like kind of dovetailing. It was actually merging into it. Yeah, but a lot of people are throwing that word around now. No, they yeah. are. I mean, when you to you know whether it's the news or a talk show or whatever a lot of people are throwing that word around right so it's because it's become a form of rhetoric and so i have uh just the last thing kind of i'll say on my notes before we can just kind of free form here to give some more information is i, I sh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I'm you just dying over here good job, good job. Yeah. thank you yeah. so this uh, like i said we'll just call him yon because that's his first name and i know it's yon because uh the the french lady that was interviewing him said his name out loud um so <laughs> thank god 
He is a professor of politics at Princeton University, um, and he wrote a book called "What Is." Yep, and he rewrote a book called "What Is Populism." So, populism, politics, and Princeton. It's a good alliteration. <laughs> Thank God for pop cultures, am I right? Mm-hmm. So he basically said that it's a it's a common misconception that basically critiquing the elite isn't just populism. Anybody has the right to critique the elite. You're not just a populist for doing that. Where you become a populist is using the rhetoric that you are the only person that knows what the people want and you are the solution to the people's problems. Right. So you're only a populist if you're kind of stating that you are the one to, to correct the problem. And the quote that I have from him that I thought was very, very well crafted because I basically just made it my own quote. So this isn't as an exact words. It's just something that I said. <laughs> It's, it's called paraphrasing. So populists are dangerous because they take objective problems and they use subjective causes to explain the problem. So they have objective problems, problems that, you know, like everybody knows that we have these problems and they're using the, the causes that they're claiming that they are very subjective in a populist mind frame of I speak for the people. So we actually are not hearing from the people. We're hearing from these from this guy or right. whoever, like Donald Trump. You know, right. he's you know saying that I'm going to, you know, these are elites like the phony New York Times, like Hillary and this and that. And and I'm the one that's going to be able to fix this for you. So he's basically the people love me. It's great. I love it. I love everything about it. Stop. I'm going to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> Your sound is really good. You know, the theater, yeah, the theater arts kid in me, I, I just can't help it. China. Okay, I love it. I lo- Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll stop it. I'll stop it. I'm vomiting back into my drink, and then I'm going to drink oh that later. doing the Trump voice again. <laughs> <laughs> Make him stop. Yeah, my ears so. are bleeding. All right, so that was, yeah, so that was beautiful. So, so podcast over, right? bonkers to me. Yeah. Is if I am a people, and I am. So... If some one person is saying, aha, the elite, but I, me, this person has all the answers, then I would be sitting there going, but you're the elite then. If you're putting yourself above others, that makes you the elite. And then I would be against you. What's the point of this? So so I think what's interesting then is just that that idea, like maybe you're thinking that way because maybe you're not – you don't have the problems that somebody like a Trumpian figure is speaking to, right? You know, I – had friends who when they talk about the Trump election, they just said, I don't, I don't know how anybody could vote for that guy. I don't know how anybody could vote for that guy. And mainly they're wealthy. I'm talking about anyone who uses populist idea. If they are saying, I put me in the presidency and then I will have the solutions to your problems. That's putting themselves in a position of eliteness. Sure. And I, and I agree with that, but I think what, what happens is, is that it's, it's all, it all boils down to, so I think it was it was Dave Rubin. No, not Dave Rubin. It was Dave, maybe David Hume that said he basically had a really good thing. He said Trump was the the wrong answer to the right question. So oh, yeah, that would be Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin, yeah. So Dave Rubin, he's the wrong answer to the right question. What he meant by that is people were tired of your classic politician. And then when Trump came along, even though he was using populist rhetoric, he was tapping into a part of like rural America that had been left behind. Um, you know, and yeah. I, like I said, I donate to Andrew Yang, and he talks about he talks about basically the manufacturing jobs that have been lost. Mm-hmm. Due to uh, technology, basically the increase in, in in capital towards research of technology and machines to to have higher Automation productivity rates, and so they basically have wiped out about forty million jobs, uh, forty million. <laughs> 
four million, yeah. not forty million. That would be a disaster. <laughs> but about... I was totally ready to be like, yeah, sounds right. Yeah, sounds yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> You're like totally, Josh. Just keep because you just yeah. keep going. I'm <laughs> believing you. I'm with you. Um, you know, support. <laughs> Yeah. And and so I think that because of these these places like you know Michigan and Iowa and New Hampshire, they lost a lot of their manufacturing jobs. And so Trump went in there, and even as a populist, they they're like, okay, Trump is crass, but he's different, and he's speaking like directly to us. So they feel like he is. And so I think you have some sort of basically, I would say, like cognitive reassurance, where it's like you feel that these you know that these problems are problems and there might be something that feels innately wrong about what you're about to get into, but you know what? It feels so right to just say yes though, because he's heard that is important. I mean, that's something that if we're, if we are talking about our strengths in counseling and psychology, that's something that counselors work to build like right off the bat with our client is just an, uh, like an understanding and a, I'm hearing you. And this is you talking to someone who is going to hear you and what you're saying. So I have no doubt that that would work with the common man, because like, if you say, Hey, I'm hearing you, I'm seeing you people who don't feel seen and heard. That's huge. And not only that though, but it's, it's a lack of education too. It's more of, you know, a lot of, a lot of our funding is not necessarily predicated on on early childhood development and and what's going on in, in preschool and, and and what's going on in high school and I even talk about my high school experience where government was an elective and I took it because I wanted to learn and it just said here's Sometimes the th- I wish government was an elective yeah and it goes here's the three branches and that was and that was it you know what I mean so yeah. it's like I think there just needs to be more you know it's like don't get me wrong algebra that's a lot of fun but if I'm not going to go into a career field that requires algebra I would much rather learn how to balance a checkbook or you know or how to or how to do my finances or basically learn how like like politics you know nobody told me when I was younger how important it was for me to vote like you know yeah. what I mean I was never told that so I feel that these people when they're not you know, they're raised in their own little bubbles and then with social media. So that's an interesting too, because I know we, we, you know, eventually I want you gals to start talking about mob mentality and kind of what's going on with the echo chambers of social media. And I think how that fits into why people are so uh, easily nowadays susceptible, I guess, to, to, you know, to this populist rhetoric. Yeah. yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so that was a now huge, huge word salad. That sorry. Just, I'm yeah, so sorry. I guess, I guess you can say that that's my nervousness too. I'm just, uh, you know, just, just spitting it out there. <laughs> some of us take shots. Some of us talk forever. That's fine. Well, can I, can I throw something real specific in for just a minute? Because yes. Anna just addressed that idea of like, um, you know, that person stepping up and then he becomes or she becomes the elitist. Mm-hmm. Um, and why would we go I, I for that? Wish. And y'all were talking about that. So, <laughs> I significant in some of my reading was um, the social psychologists who have studied the idea of that we have this ancient need to belong to a group. And um, it kind of goes back to however you want to look at that evolution or whatever. We have this ancient need that we desire to be in this group, not only for a lot of reasons, but for safety, you know, because there's safety in numbers. Right. That's an evolutionary. Right. And so we're in this group and social uh, psychologists say that we look for a leader who's going to be like, ah, you know, somebody who can kick butt. Crazy one. Okay. Social psychologists not are not the only ones who said that. Our buddy Sigmund Freud said that. Sigmund! Our buddy Sigmund Freud, that weird, weird man, he has a quote from uh, an article that I read that says, let us venture then to correct Trotter's pronouncement that man is a herd animal and assert Mm. that he is rather a horde animal, an individual creature in a horde led by a chief. 
Mm-hmm. So that was one of his main things that he talked about is that the herd wants a leader. Right. Of course. And think of it, look at it biblically too. You know, a lot of people, if you, in the religious context, it's, it's the shepherd, you know, we're the sheep, we're the shepherd. That, yeah. that, that yeah. like metaphor has been exactly. used as, is is a big connecting metaphor in we the Bible. Look for someone who knows what they're doing because no one feels like they know what they're doing. <laughs> I don't think any of us know what they're that's doing. Why you know, with you guys, and we're looking at you as our leaders about this whole situation. No, of course not. Uh, apparently, I'm yeah. just going to give you a word vomit salad and just yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. While we're on the uh, Freud thing, um, let's see. Oh shit. My laptop is just uh, not working. Uh, That's most people's reaction. Yeah, Freud. Freud. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, let's get to Freud. Shit. Um, We've all read read Oedipus Rex. We know what happens. There we go. That's my theater interpretation of Freud. Just read Oedipus Rex and you you got it. So I'm just pulling it up on my phone because my, uh, my laptop isn't working. But let's see. There was... Okay, Gustave Le Bon wrote uh, in nineteen in eighteen ninety five. The crowd, a study of the popular mind, considered uh, one of the seminal uh, works of crowd psychology, and he mm-hmm. was kind of talking about similar stuff, you know. But um, you know, he also was developing an essentialist view of humanity and invented uh, this portable uh, cephalomo- uh, cephalometer. What the hell is a cephalometer? Schools, you know, um, yeah. No, let's let's, let's yeah. guess it. Cephalometer. <laughs> yeah. Let me see what that would be for. That was that's for. I'm gonna guess it is for the softness of your clothing. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, <laughs> but it was just really interesting. It, uh, it into a cephalopod. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. So I'm just curious, like you know, if we're thinking about some of the stuff that even. Uh, Freud talked about then, you know, in the 19th and early 20th century, how much of that really translate today, like about looking into, you know, the, the psychology of crowds and, and people getting together, you know, you look at, you know, big sporting events, right. You know, especially, uh, soccer in the UK when, you know, their favorite team loses and they all get together in violent rages and, and attack the other team. I'm just Mm -hmm. curious, like what, I don't know what's the latest on that kind of thing, you know, because I'm in the dark. And about mom, it. yes, <laughs> I really want to talk about Freud a minute more because yes. Freud said about that that what happens is that when we're in a crowd, that we the crowd takes over our um, super ego, mm-hmm. that we lose our super ego, we surrender it basically to the crowd mentality. And for so, those not psychology based, the super ego is like the uh, social mind that we all have that tamps down like our base impulses oh, because of what social says is okay. I thought it was my ego that could fly. Like just... <laughs> super ego is just the ego that Josh has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see hey that was a solid dig anna you're learning yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like your your siblings i see it already yep um, but i think that's significant that you know the things that we believe in that they, our values and the things that that we would otherwise not do yeah, when like we're totally in that crowd yeah. yeah sure and, yeah, I, so and, that- and i was talking on i, I I'm, I'm part of this social app called courts i don't know it's apparently supposed to be like a sophisticated like news cycle where you can comment and it's supposed to be like less you know i guess hostile um and there's this article about social media so I, yeah i was talking about like the high school lunchroom you know and how in high school everybody kind of goes to the people that they gravitate towards that it's like similar likes and and you know basically similar mind frames and then what happened is with social media is that i feel that 
I was telling, you know, for example, I, I donated to Andrew Yang's uh, political campaign. And ever What's since I joined his Facebook name? group, <laughs> I am I am literally flooded, flooded with all stories. Andrew Yang, like my Facebook is flooded with nothing but him. So I can imagine that if I believe if I if I if I was raised conservative and I have these these kind of beliefs, I join this site of people that are like minded. And then I'm just getting constant constant you know re- reassurance of what i'm feeling and i just argue that what social media has done is validation feels much better than truth or fact like i i it feels good to be validated it doesn't feel good to have that validation be broken especially if the truth will break that like and that goes to the principle of social proof that i looked into a bit that we figure out what's right by looking at what others are doing mm. um or yeah there was a psychologist uh Robert Cialdini, and he wrote Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. And he did an experiment where he removed a sign from a path in the Arizona Petrified Forest National Park. The APFNP. (laughs) Wait, the whole forest is petrified? So it must be old. The petrified. <laughs> petri- they need a better name, is what I'm saying. Yeah, we're the oh, got it, got so, it. Like, were they scared? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's scared? <laughs> but the sign said, Your heritage is being vandalized every day by theft losses of petrified wood of 14 tons a year, mostly a small piece at a time. So people would go into the forest and take, take a little piece. bit of like petrified bark sure. and think, Oh, it's okay because it's just a little bit. But sure. it was a huge aggregation of, of theft. Yeah. And he took some of the signs away that said that. And on paths without the sign, vandalism and theft decreased by like a third. Fascinating. Because people weren't, yeah, weren't getting the confirmation. Like everyone's doing this, so it's okay if I do it. Right. Nobody ever, nobody ever wants to be the first person. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to be the first person. Nobody wants to be the last person. So like if I know somebody else, you know, I, I had a motivational. Like, well, still plenty left. So yeah, like I had a motivational up. speaker in, in my middle school and I never forget this moment where he's like, he goes, raise your hand if you talk to yourself. And there was like maybe five kids that raised their hand total. And he looked and you could see a disappointed look and he goes, really? How many of you right now are looking at each other going, I don't talk to myself. This guy's an idiot. I'm not going to raise my hand. There's no way I talk to myself. <laughs> You know, and then as soon as he said that, he goes, re-raise your hand. Then everybody rose their hand, yeah. you know, and right. it's just more of like, you know, we, we needed those six people to ban up and be the first ones to raise their hand and then him make a quick joke. And then all of a sudden we all kind of raise our hands. And that's like this, the scariness of it is it's just that, that, that validation is so intoxicating and knowing that you have that kind of, that culture of everybody has a common mind frame with you and you have this, this connection. And I think really what it boils down to, like you said, is, is the human nature. We need community. Like it boils down to this feeling of community. We need that social piece and we do it without even thinking. So I'm going to tell this story and Nathan won't like it. My husband, when we were on our first date, (laughs) we went to this pizza place and the pizza was like really messy. So I just dug in because I have no shame. Sure. And he was like, like I looked up and he was kind of looking around trying to be discreet. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, nothing. And I said, no, no, no. What are you doing? And he said, no, I'm okay. I'm looking around to see how everyone else is eating the pizza just <laughs> to see if he was doing it right. I mean, yeah. we just do it naturally as like a, I want to see if I'm being the weird one right now. Right. Do you guys want to you... if everyone else is doing the same thing I'm doing? Are you familiar with Darren Brown? As in the it sounds familiar. Is it? No, he's the, so he's a mentalist. Um, oh. And he uh, he basically he ba- yeah I knew that sounded familiar yeah, yeah so he's a mentalist he's got one of one of the like a couple Netflix shows yeah so one of the Netflix shows in particular is is called the push and he uses social pressure to convince this lady that it, it's best for her to put to kill a man by pushing him off the roof 
and how they and how they vetted for that was very fascinating. He ran an experiment to yeah, where the he of it is very interesting. He yeah. had he had five actors placed taking a test and he brought in random people that also sat down with these five actors. Now they had a they had basically a quiz that they were filling out with no direction whatsoever. A bell rang and all the actors stood up and kept writing and the bell rang again and then they sat down and they with these random like test subjects who had no idea what was going on they figured out that just by observing the other people standing up and down by the bell they started to stand and sit down when the bell rang and then they took out the five actors and then eventually they just had 10 random people that are now standing and sitting filling out this form every time a bell rang because they watched the first five people do it and what he was saying is that with social pressure that there was some people he pulled out of the study because people didn't do it. So there is like some minds mm-hmm. have a higher resilience to social pressure. And he wanted to find people that were like more susceptible. So he found the most people that just like looked at what the others were doing and immediately were, were standing up and sitting down with this bell ringing. Well, yeah. that's like the Ash Conformity study. Uh-huh. Are you guys familiar with that? No, I'm just looking at that. You know, I I think that I totally am familiar with it, but you should probably tell us for the listeners (laughs) so they 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 are familiar with it. Uh, My trick. You can't use that. Okay, how about this? You you tell me what you think it is, and then we'll tell you what we think it is. (laughs) And I'll tell you right. The study was a study done in 1951, and they just like that they had uh five or six people who they called stooges which i think is great basically plants and they had Mm -hmm. these people and then one actual participant come in and they had a line judgment test where they had one line so say the the single line was like four inches long and then they had a set of three lines that were maybe one six inches once four inches once two inches so clearly one of them is the same length as the sample line Mm -hmm. and they went down to see to say like you know which line do you think is the same as the sample line and all of the stooges said the wrong answer and like the the blatantly wrong answer, no question that what they said was wrong. Yeah. And when they got to the actual participant, twelve out of eighteen trials, the person said the blatantly wrong answer because everyone else in the room had said it. Wow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, social pressure. Like they did the in the other experiment, I'll say, and I don't know the fancy name for it, but uh, this is where Darren Brown got was was motivated. So they were using uh, chimps, and they had a staircase. Is that with a... sure for chimpanzee. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, I love it when you you when you interrupt for that crappy. Sorry, joke. you're the you're you know you're do, like doing most of the talking right now, which is totally fine. So I'm just sitting here like waiting for a moment. Like, can I get it in? <laughs> oh, there it is. There, I found it. <laughs> Take found your moment. It, oh, no, no, go yes. ahead. No, I'm I'm very I'm genuinely interested. So okay, so um, then I'll give you in his turn because apparently I'm hogging the microphone. So um, they there's the... two. It's okay. <laughs> No, no, no. The problem is you're sharing a microphone. <laughs> we need to raise some funds for you guys to get a second microphone. <laughs> Join yeah, our can, Patreon and we'll yeah, buy the necessary bullshit boys another microphone. Yeah. <laughs> well, what what's going on with the podcast coins? We'll just use some of those and get a new microphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Basically, it's the same experiment, with, but with you know with, with chimps. They put a bunch of bananas on the top of a staircase, and then when so the first racist. chimp tried to get the bananas, they sprayed him with a hose, like a big power hose. And he fell down and they hmm. tried it again and he fell down. And then they brought in another monkey. And as soon as the other monkey went to go up to the staircase, the one grabbed him by the arm and, well, and basically yeah. stopped him right. from going up. And so he, without ever getting sprayed, just that other monkey grabbed his arm. So they brought in a third monkey and then the two of them stopped them. And then beforehand, they bring in enough. And then eventually the monkeys just never. Garden of Eden. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, you know that reminds me of. I know bad fruit. That is the fruit of knowledge. We cannot. Nobody ever got the bananas. Is that the end of the story? These monkeys get bananas. Does this story have a happy ending? We'll just say, for the sake of argument, they were given the bananas after the test trial. They're like, God damn it! I really want that banana. No, you know that reminds me of this is just slightly off topic, but there's that great bit from the U.S. Office where uh, Jim is like doing he's like making a sound on his computer and every time the sound goes up he offers dwight a little mint or like a tic tac uh-huh. or something like that and then you know he, uh-huh. dwight just gets so used to grabbing it and then one time jim makes the sound and doesn't hand him doesn't offer him a mint and dwight just puts his hand out there and it's great because jim is like why are you putting your hand out there he's like i don't know yeah that's conditioning right is that pavlov am i right all right i know I, I remember a little couple things about <laughs> in college when i took <laughs> yeah. yeah pavlov's condition yeah our teacher did that with turning off the light and snapping her fingers so then when she just snapped her fingers your eyes dilate like it's the most common one to to, to show your students oh, our teacher just showed us that clip from the office <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Nailed it. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to take like a uh, darker turn uh, at all in this. So I, you know, when we were speaking a little bit, uh, I know we want to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Bonnie, Bonnie. Now I think it's time for you to get nervous. Yeah. No. um, So when we were speaking a little bit before uh, on Twitter, I I brought up uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. You know, I I basically every episode I I try to bring him up, but. Um, you know, he's so he's a, uh, you know, Gotta get dinner. Yeah. Get paid by exactly. Yeah. Stay, you yeah. know, I'm just trying to get the royalties coming in. Uh, no. So, I mean, he was a, you know, 19th century German philosopher. And one of his uh, kind of pivotal ideas was this idea that understanding Christianity and why it, it rose to prominence so well was because this we had this idea of master morality and slave morality. And in master morality, there was basically a bunch, a bunch of noblemen and rich people. You know, they viewed all the plebes and, and, you know, poor people as bad and they viewed themselves as good. Well, you had this kind of slave revolt, so to speak, not actual slaves, but mainly just peasants and poor people. I guess that's the same thing who, you know, viewed themselves instead as Jesus. good and viewed them as evil and uh, the, viewed the noblemen and masters as evil. And what Nietzsche kind of thought was that they were being fueled by this kind of feeling or emotion of resentment or resentiment, as he kind of put it, and how when you get a lot of people together feeling that kind of way, it's easy to take that and kind of rise to power. Now, Christianity off, you know, definitely has a sort of colored history, you know, when you look at the Crusades and, and many other, you know, instances like that. But I'm curious where in, if in any psychological studies out there, if what kind of powerful emotions are there that lead to people violently kind of reacting you know in large groups i'm just generally curious oh buddy yeah, i've got yeah, brain stuff yeah, y'all want to get into brain stuff I really yeah do. we want to get into brain do. stuff okay yeah. so um there was a sociologist at carnegie mellon who uh did a study about this and the reason she did it it's funny that you brought up sport events before mm-hmm. because the reason she did it was because she went uh, her name's uh, Mina Sakara. I was putting that off because I don't think that's how you say it. Um, <laughs> we call her Mina. 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 She's Mina in this house. Well, you, you, well you're and... lucky because Ian's not here to look at your notes and tell you how to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> yeah. It's C-I-K-A-R-A. How do you say that, Ian? 
Oh God, Sicaria? I, I guess that's how I would say it. Oh, yeah. That's what my yeah, guess would that's be. That's what you yeah. said. So, Mina, if you're listening to this, sorry. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Mina. Sorry. But <laughs> went to a, a sporting event with her husband, and I'm not going to remember the names of the teams because that's not my thing. And they were wearing the hat of the opposing team and sat with the home team basically oh. crowd and afterwards she was like i have never gotten called names like that in my entire life yeah. and so it kind of made her want to do this study about why why we lose that that mm-hmm. like feeling of of moral wall mm-hmm. in a crowd mm-hmm. yeah so she did a research study about why people in groups tend to act against their usual moral standards for equity and against harming others. And the answer might be brain stuff. Let's get into it. Brain so stuff. Contestants... <laughs> why did I say contestants in my notes? Weird. Because <laughs> it's a sadistic game show. Behind this wall, there's evil people. Yeah. Every study is a game show. You know our secret now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they participants up to a brain thing and they asked them moral questions (laughs) while they were alone versus while they were in groups and they found activity in what's called the medial prefrontal cortex um so important things live in this brain part Mm -hmm. Uh, now question is the brain located in the arm (laughs) sorry yes no, but but my understanding is that that for the frontal cortex is responsible for for reasoning and for making the more difficult choice, I guess, and it develops later on in life. Right. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't develop till you're like twenty. Yeah, so, twenty. This is why teenagers sorry, are such mm-hmm. a pain in the butt. Hey, I got a little bit of psychology in here. I know a little bit about the brain. <laughs> bring, bring in the brain stuff. Yeah. But moderating social behavior is also a big part of it. And uh, the basic activity of the prefrontal cortex in general is considered to be linking our thoughts and our actions with our internal goals. Now, specifically the part that I mentioned, the medial prefrontal cortex, lights up when we think of attributes of others, and it's been linked to mimicry of behavior. Hmm. So this study saw that this part of people's brains lights up when they think about themselves, but it's totally dormant when they act in groups. Mm. So we're not thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about the attributes of others. It, that part of us. We're not is thinking about just, anything. Yeah. So do you, so you kind of lose down. your sense of self then in, in a way? Like, would you say? A little bit. Yeah. That, yeah. Go, that goes back to the Freudian thing. Right. Mm-hmm. That we lose our, our super ego. We lose any any sense of what's right and wrong for our own values. Right. We, we aren't thinking about what we personally think are good morals and how we should treat others. Mm-hmm. That part of our brains is literally just dormant. Mm. interesting and and when does and then in that being activated is that only when we're in large groups or when there's something like happening or being stimulated something like what oh gosh i don't know like like, let's say that you are your your favorite sport yeah let's say that you're sitting on the couch in your house but you happen to be watching you know a sporting event and you see the crowd in the audience and you see the the audience that that's on your team and they see the audience of the opposite team and then maybe that the opposite team does something that infuriates you and then you have like maybe i don't know this this pseudo connectivity with 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 the people on the screen so you're not technically part of a group because you're sitting on your couch by yourself but you you feel connected to the group because yeah, you I would see say them. that it wouldn't like if we're talking about like our brains lighting up i think it wouldn't affect it like that because Got we're it. not you 
like you know when you're in a group you physically, have to be immersed yeah. in that yeah it yeah. feels very different than when you're just like watching it on the screen i do think we have a conscious connection with that kind of thing so maybe there is a little bit of a visceral reaction when we see something like that going on but i think mostly if we're removed from it we can be removed from it hmm, i gotcha. think it's much stronger when we're in the actual physical group so you're saying our brain is smart enough to know the difference our brains should be smart enough. <laughs> yeah. Should be. I love how you have to throw under the cause. Should, but no, you're not wrong. You know, we 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 are in Eugene, Oregon, and we have the Ducks here, which is the the very very famous uh, college team that we have. And I, the one of the first Duck games I ever went to, I watched a grown man flip off a six year old for wearing <laughs> the like wrong team colors. And 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 uh, you know, I wasn't a you know a psychiatrist or a psychologist at the time, so I also could have been like, I'm going to do a study. <laughs> I want to be like, you know, why why are you as a grown man flipping off a child who probably didn't even ask to be dressed in the clothes that they're wearing because they don't know any different it was just a bizarre kind of experience what's interesting is that if you took that man from the group and sat him in a room alone and said hey do you know that you just flipped off a six-year-old he would be like what i mean he i literally think he would have a trouble because part of the study that i just mentioned um said that the people who had less activity in the um, medial prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. were meaner and they also had trouble later recalling the questions they were asked during the test because the Mm -hmm. questions were about those moral moral things that we have in our heads and people theoretically were not focusing on that as much during the test and it learned like a Leaded to lower recall of the actual questions. Right. I wonder if there's so, a uh, like an evolutionary um, explanation for that. Like, why would why would the brain basically shut those kind of memories or push those memories down? Like, do you think it's? I a, think Mom said before about just surviving. In I think groups. so too. I think our higher level functioning shuts down when we feel like we're in a group and we need to survive. We have to survive. Group, which exactly. I know sporting events seems like a dumb thing for that to activate about, but people with anxiety, their fight and flight response is activated all the time. Right. So our when I said our brains should be smarter, literally, I mean should be, and they're yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, right. So well, I th- think it activates during weird times because that like monkey brain in us goes, oh, oh, oh I am in danger. Well, <laughs> I am sense- in danger sporting event it makes sense too because i mean we don't you know we don't find ourselves in the situations that our ancestors did now and i you know one of the uh more interesting things that i've heard about our evolution and about the brain is that you know again evolution is so slow that our brains haven't had time to catch up to our modern world yeah our brains are in hunter-gatherer mode yeah Mm. and we're not now, would would the would the kind of an overactive amygdala and your your fear and your 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 kind of your your anger response is that is there does that play a role in how maybe far you go in in this kind of group mentality setting that you lose your super Show. ego? Yeah. We are so impressed. I know we're that you use that like, word. Go look at him. Go. Look at him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks, um, lady. Stop it. Stop. Yeah. It. I mean, keep going. Keep going. Just yes. that's... my answer to that is yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I was going to say that about the guy who flipped off the six-year-old. And Anna said, you know, if you ask him, you know, why did you do that? And he'd be like, oh, I didn't realize I'd do that. Unless he was a real ass. You know, sure, unless sure. he just happened to be a jerk who had some anger <laughs> issues. Like you know, because sure. there, yeah, there are some people. And then that, 
that might be the point, you know, that they just have anger issues or whatever. Well, and even like, I, I do think that our brains are just wired differently, like on a personal basis. Cause even That's in so that study, there were some people who were less mean, even when they were in a crowd and they had a little bit of activity in the prefrontal cortex. And some people just had not, I mean, there are varying levels of when our brains activate to certain times and, and I mean, that's that individuality. Well, thing, I also right? heard of so the brain the has like the neuroconnectivity. The neuroconnectivity of the brain has can you know if you if you exercise one aspect, like if you constantly are feeling anger, then your brain kind of creates, I guess, for lack of a better term, hotkeys, where like right. your your neuroconnectivity can bypass a certain function that it should go through straight into maybe even the amygdala and bypass your frontal cortex. Basically, if you are exercising your aggression often that you can literally re basically hot, yeah. hot, hot wire your, your neuroconnectivity well, to and the same goes, if we're talking about amygdala, the same goes for trauma. trauma. The same yeah. trauma. Goes oh. for that. And yeah. so like, that's exactly right. It's rewired. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's when we, when we talk about trauma and anger and all those things, our brain literally does rewire it. It literally, like if we look at trauma survivors, like uh, brain scans versus uh, I'll pe say people who haven't experienced that kind of trauma, they literally, their brains look different. So it's it's more than just rewiring. It's literally a physical structure of the brain thing. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Got populism, it. baby. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. freaking amazing. Yeah. I'm, you know, just stunned. <laughs> no, I, so I'm, I'm curious then. I mean, as far as broader implications go, you know, we look at the state of today, you know, not necessarily to, to, to throw out the same word salad that Josh did earlier, but you know, when we look at how, people act obviously this kind of thing has been going on for you know as long as we've been around um but what do you think i mean are there ways to not necessarily combat it but but at least to kind of uh tamp it down in such a way that's not as doesn't have as negative consequences I, you know, when you guys were talking before, again, about like being in that echo chamber, and I know that in one of your other podcasts, you guys were talking about that, about how you keep getting validated for the same thing. I, I, I want to kind of point back to that again and say, our world is just so different now. Yeah. Um, and it's so much harder to, as you say, tamp down those kind of things. And I think it's because of social media, but it, it goes back to, Ann and I just, recorded a podcast earlier about, right. um, that included self-actualization. Yeah. And so if, if we had a society where we could foster better self-actualization and have people be stronger in their own values, that's it. That if you have a stronger sense of self, right. that maybe you will be less likely to get swallowed up exactly. by the group. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not happening in our society no. because of social media. And this is also something that you guys have talked about in some episode that like you talked about the echo chamberness of social media and also that we don't get like exposed to other things. Right. And I think that's something that we need to do consciously. Right. We need to be searching out things that that challenge us and that may change our worldview, yeah. because if we don't do that our worldview isn't going to change and mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to critically evaluate what we think and feel right. so the more we look for those things that may be against what we think and the more we are able to say well i don't agree with this but i do agree with this and i don't agree with this because of this reason that, and that goes back to the self-awareness and the sense of self that right. the right. more we can personally internally validate our own stuff then we don't need other people to do that for us and we don't get eaten up by that yeah mm -hmm. what's interesting is i took a I I took a holistic fitness class in college and Ooh, the, the thing the whole time the thing about no it's like we had to actually that like the environment <laughs> holistic fitness we had to wake up our body so we had to count i think in korean so it had to be like quartz 
Yeah, we, we had to be like Hana, do, set, net, dasa, yasa, which is like we had to count in like Korean, I think. And then you like top yeah, the body. Yeah. But the we thi- used to do that in Taekwondo too. Oh, nice. Oh, so yeah. the, the yeah. thing is that the, the professor, though, what was really interesting to me is she said that human beings, we are, we basically cannot help but develop patterns and we love routine. And we, we, without even realizing it, we develop routines and we follow the same routine and we just cannot break that cycle. And she said for holistic fitness to keep your mind constantly active, she encouraged us that if you take the same work or route to work every day, switch it up, take a different route. If you usually do this, then go ahead and do that. Cause he's like, the brain is like a muscle and, and the way to flex it is to, is to continue to experience new things. And you have to fight your own urge of making a routine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. You and, know, I... and people they think about fit. I like the idea of that class partly because I am a hippie. But like, <laughs> when you think of fitness, they don't think of cognitive fitness. They just right. think of physical fitness. But I mean, we that I don't know about you, mom. I assume this is true for you as well. That when we have clients sitting in our office talking about feeling better, we have to talk about both physical and mental and emotional fitness. I mean, all of it. It all plays together, and I think people don't know that as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I think one of the biggest things that's kind of that brought that kind of thing to my attention is, you know, I'm going to name drop here a minute, but Sam Harris's podcast and his meditation app, you know, he talks about very much the same thing is that your mind is a muscle. And when we do talk about exercise, why wouldn't we talk about exercising your mind? It just seems like something that we've really lacked. And I don't know where that happened. I don't know where it we stopped being so concerned with things going on in our mind rather than just things going on outside of, uh, you know, and it's like a stigma we, too. Well, I mean, it, it plays into physical fitness. Like we did a whole series on aging and the, like the life cycle. Right. And one of the things that we talked about during one of our last episodes was the people who do those kind of, even like little puzzles, like if you're doing Sudoku or something that it can really make your physical brain work better mm-hmm. just because you're stretching those muscles. And Ian and I kind of talked video about games, <laughs> but you and I, remember we, in our, in our, in, but when, yeah, yeah, you have to use your brain for that. If you're playing the right games. I yeah, that's true. But when Ian and I did our, our mental health, uh, episode, we, we, we were basically on the camp that we don't like the term mental illness because illness like has a certain stigma, but if you, if you change it to mental fitness, then you're able mm-hmm. to kind of use mm-hmm. basically like we talked about how in mental fitness, it's like in actual fitness, you have your diet and you have your exercise. And so in mental fitness, your exercise is like your counseling where you're, you're basically talking with the counselor and you're, and you're doing your mental exercises that way. And then your diet quote unquote for certain mental illnesses, depending on whatever personality disorder you have or, or any condition of that, it would be kind of the, the medication that you are working in your brain. So you kind of need both. It's not like you need the physical exercise and you need the physical diet but mental fitness you also need that that diet and exercise in that I, realm you're saying i can't just right. eat cheeseburgers <laughs> and and walk well let's not be hasty yes <laughs> yeah okay. you can thank god i was scared there for a second yeah but you know <laughs> it, but just to kind of bring this back to populist for a second i think that what's what's interesting is is this idea of of using rhetoric to to kind of produce these causes of 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 problems that may not necessarily be the cause but because he is claiming to speak you know for the people and i think that that's where you know the danger of the rhetoric that trump has been spouting is is he has convinced this i guess 40% of of the american population that he legitimately does speak for them mhm yeah 
Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I think what's interesting about that too is that he, him himself, I don't think he's is necessarily aware that he's doing it. I think he's just thinks that he really is this great guy. He's not actually using it as a rhetorical tool. He's just I actually thinks that's that worth. Way better if he doesn't know he's doing it i was gonna say i don't know if it's better or worse if he's not aware either either he's like an evil genius like he really is a genius or he's a freaking savant right he well he's he's one extreme or the other yeah you know he's not just doing he's either got this all planned out and he has this evil genius plan or he's a i i I don't want to be mean but he's not a very bright guy. <laughs> he's just, so. I think he's, he's just learned a how to narcissist. Play a, and people are like, "Wow, look at this confident guy." Yeah. Right. He's so is that like a, is, is, is that like narcissism? What it would technically be like in a, in a psychological standpoint of basically creating your own problem and then telling people that like this is what you have to do to fix that problem, even though he created that problem, and then he goes I through and says that I. DSM six comes out. If there's not a picture of Trump under narcissism, I will be very upset. Yeah, or on the front cover. So that is a classic narcissist thing to do. I then I guess look at it every day. Yeah, I think that falls under gaslighting. Gas. Oh, oh yeah. 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 No, you're right. You know, making making something up basically that then you convince the other person is real, kind right. of thing. You know, that's the Just basic basic idea of it, and that's kind of what he's doing. So interesting. But like you said about populism in general. Mm-hmm. Saying that it's a real problem with a fake solution or however you said that better than I did. Like, I, I do think that's Josh it. I think poet. that, like, he is saying things that the common person does worry about. It's just that, first of all, he either offers solutions that aren't real and aren't the like, – that are subjective cause mm-hmm. or he offers solutions that are, are totally unfeasible. Right. And that it will not work. Right. And the biggest thing, too, is, and I was telling this, Ian, and we, we kind of briefly covered this on the episode we just dropped, but I think it's important to kind of reiterate where it's like I was telling Ian that what with the current culture and the mind frame, and maybe social media has to play a part of this, I'm curious with your guys' thoughts on this, but I think that the, what what's happening is that people are confusing the critique of the pathway to the solution as the solution itself. So if I say that, like, if you want equality and I critique your pathway of what you think achieving equality would be, you then think that I'm against equality. Very good. Very well put. So, yeah. So I guess for me, it's this misconception of if I critique a pathway to the succession of that idea, it's not necessarily saying that I disagree with the end result of the idea. And, you know, I, I don't know if you guys see that, but I think that's, that's very common. That's what's happening right now. In, in a lot I of ways. feel that a lot. Yeah. When I listen to stuff, I feel like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. But I do like that. I just don't like the way you're doing it. I you think know? it goes the opposite way as well, though, that when we see like, OK, if we're looking at problem, pathway, solution, when we see a problem in the pathway, but we don't like the pathway, then we say like, OK, well, it, we're not we can't do that. So we can't get to the solution ever. Right. If that pathway is going to work. We're not going to get there. So we might as well just forget it. What also makes me think, too, you know, and taking this in a slightly different context, but, but related. So here in Oregon, we've and we actually talked about it on the last episode. We've been having a bit of a problem in Portland, Oregon, uh, with Antifa and other protest groups having fairly violent clashes with each other. And mm-hmm. one of the things that's always kind of, you know, not necessarily driven me mad, but just utterly confused is that when protesters when they're especially you know in some of these groups are like antifa you know they are 
fighting and wanting so badly, you know, what, you know, whatever their, their claims are. And yet some of the, some of their, uh, solutions to this is basically vandalism or beating people up. And it's one of those things is like, is this actually helping your cause? And like, why, why are we latching on to those kind of ideas? It's just very strange to me. And again, you know, that goes back to what people do in groups thinking, you know, their morals kind of go out the window. But again, mm-hmm. it goes back to what we do in groups when we think we're threatened. And if you get into a group and you think like, okay, we are fighting for our rights and our lives. Mm-hmm. We need to be extreme. Yeah. And it's almost like the reverse. It's again, like focusing. I like when you said the pathway to a problem, because that's why the reason why I thought populism would be good to cover is not only is it kind of expanding, not only in Europe and, and now in America, but what it's doing is it, it populist rhetoric focuses on the pathway it doesn't like it acknowledges a problem and then it basically uses its rhetoric to say this is the pathway to fix it i know this because i am the only one who speaks truly for the people and then you get them on board with that and then then you have these these like antifa you have these groups that go look if you're going to say that the pathway to achieving what you want requires this level of either violence or this level of of manipulation then we're going to play you at your own game and if you know like for me i don't they like somehow have convinced themselves that the only way to fight fire is with fire yeah. and and i just like ian had said i don't know if that really is going to fix anything or if it's just going to escalate the problem Talk about social media and talking about putting our own ideas out there. I think what I'm seeing in the political culture right now is that people want to double down on what they think because they're very scared of looking wrong or uh, looking like they made a bad choice. That I've seen a lot of people who go either way on – like this happens on both sides of the political spectrum where Mm -hmm. they – they make a claim based on who they're following. Basically, if we're going toward the like a herd needs a chief idea that they make a claim based on who they're following or they like defend the person they're following just kind of blindly because they're like, well, I've put my eggs in this basket and now I have to defend this basket with my life. And so it can be really dangerous that that stops our critical thinking too, because we're scared of looking wrong and we're scared of, affecting the herd negatively because one idea that i saw when i was looking uh for stuff about herd mentality is also from sigmund freud and he talks about that he says the influence of suggestion becomes a greater riddle for us when we admit that it is not exercised only by the leader but by every individual upon every other individual so he's saying we want to achieve but we're also affecting each other and i also think that we're when we're in a group we have this idea it's like the the weak link situation where we think that if we show weakness, the group will be weak, mm. and we don't want to do that. Yeah, because you don't want to be the weakest chain. Yeah, because you know, it's like right. the, that classic thing where it's like chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So nobody wants to be right. that that yeah. link. You're, they're going to eliminate me from the group, which we don't want because we are social creatures. Or the group idea is going to be weakened, which we don't want because we're part of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also kind of makes me think too that you know whatever end in sight that we may have especially you know in some tough situations is that we look at basically the means are justified by the end you know like whether it's you know uh equality you know something good like that or you know something else as you know we need to protect ourselves from you know whatever could be coming after us it doesn't matter we need to do whatever we can to get that it goes back to that sort of survival aspect that you were talking about bonnie Mm -hmm. i think i think um too, if I can throw this in, I think 
<laughs> I don't know if I should do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do it. Do um, it. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. Nike. Nike. Nike it. Yeah. That's right. Oh, they're not paying us. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're right. You're right. They're totally not paying us. Right, we're not, we're not sponsored. Nike, we'll reach out to Nike. I'll talk to Phil Knight personally. Maybe they yeah. There you yeah. go. The populist thing is is working for both sides at this point. Exactly. If you look at our country and you say that there's two sides, that's that's what I'm describing here. Is which that, in a bipartisan world there is absolutely that you go to the Trump stuff and all of that. But if if you look at the other side of the coin, they're using that too. That populist, you know, we are the people. We yes. are, yeah. you know, we need these rights. So they're both using the same spin. It's right. just that it seems that right now, Trump seems to be pretty good at that that hurting thing. Well, and I would say Trump has the more kind of what you guys' definition of populism was, which is one person has the answer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yes. And, and like, well, that's what that, that professor had said. I guess the technical term is is basically just saying that you know what's best for the people. Right. So like the definary, the dictionary definition is like you're a populist if you claim to know what's best for the people. But uh, the, that uh, the professor at Princeton basically had said that, no, there's another level to that. That's basically using the rhetoric that you are the only one mm-hmm. that speaks on behalf of these answers. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to social media, the only kind of thing that I want to talk about is basically their algorithms and how they're the, the whole aspect of clickbait culture and how, you know, right now a lot of people don't read what they're sharing and, and a lot of what's being, it's all about attention. So social media is about how, how much can I grab your attention? And it's an attention based market. And with an attention market, like they find out that anger and frustration and, and getting people uh, rise out of people will cause them to spend more attention on either like, click more in your article or be more on your site. And, spend more money. and then when you are basically subjected to all of this negativity constantly, I, what I, I, you know, I don't know if this is a real term, but I, I call it naive realism where you basically take your own experience and you think that that's the way that the world is and you don't you're no, you don't have a strong theory of mind of understanding that other people have also different experiences and so you just lose that that sense of of understanding and the last thing I'll say how it connects to you, and I always find it fascinating because when it comes to fiction we don't have a problem with that millions of people love Harry Potter but why I mean none of us are wizards so like none of us can really claim, but you don't we... know that. <laughs> I guess I can't prove they that. But they have like a Patronus charm right now. Going but I on. think what most people forget, and and because they're in this own echo chamber, they're getting this constant negative rhetoric due to these algorithms. That what is happening is that they are they are going that you can't understand that at the base of all humans, we all feel the same emotions. Our stories might be different, but the underlying emotions are always the same. So we can connect and we can love Harry Potter and we can you know we can connect with this this. Character character even though we we don't live in a magic world because the underlying things that he magical. goes through are very well, human that, emotion there's a whole right, exactly. we don't have time to get into this but there is a whole section of therapy called narrative therapy mm-hmm. where we connect with characters and we use fictional stories to work through our own issues because it's a safe way to do that where we where we separate ourselves and we basically hide behind a wall of fiction, but we use that to work through our own issues. Right, and I think it's finding common ground. So it's like what people are not using that. So it's like I think you can understand where it's like, look, yes, your story, like the right versus the left, their stories are different. Rural America versus urban America, but. I think what they're losing is that we can do this in fiction. We have the ability with fictional stories to find the underlying emotion. But for some reason, when it comes to actual stories of the other side, we cannot do that. We cannot find the underlying emotion because I bet if you boil down what everybody is saying on either side, it probably just boils down to the same emotions on each side. Yeah. 
That's good. I think that, I mean, sitting here at this table, I would qualify myself as more liberal. Mom, I'd qualify you as more conservative. Yep. So, but we know that we are more similar than different. Mm. And we know that when we talk about the issues that we sometimes talk about, we don't often because we do fight. (laughs) But but like when we do that, (laughs) we're coming at it from the same want to help and and want to make the world better it's just a matter of the pathway like we talked about before Mm -hmm. and there's this kind of weird dissonance where we think that if what the pathway is different then our ideals are different and that's not Mm -hmm. true i love the naive realism i love that do you do you if it's it's not real you need to coin it oh yeah i don't know yet i don't know i just kind of came up with it but i haven't done enough research to know if somebody else somewhere in in the span of history has has used that but that's kind of that's very good yeah. It's very good. And, and honestly, in Thanks, therapy, Mom. that's what we do with people is we try to get them to realize that whoever they're dealing with, whether it's a, you know their husband, wife, significant other, children, whatever, that we all have these different perceptions. All of this that we're talking about makes that perception even harsher that ours is so different. But what we work toward is empathy mm-hmm. and the idea of realizing that we are all just human. We're all connected. We're and all we should have empathy. We've talked before in past of our episodes that we – that empathy is something you can train and mm-hmm. you can work toward. Mm-hmm. And it, that I think a lot of people have this idea of empathy as like a character trait where if you have it, you have it. And if you don't, you don't, that's not true. It's something that you can practice and get better at. And I think it is something that we all need to practice and get better at. I mean, I think that's just something that will help us in this kind of political discourse we have going on. Mm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have terrible news that naive realism is a real thing. Not only is it a real thing, it's a psychology thing. Oh, it's really? Psychology. Yes. Woo! That's not terrible news. That's fun news. That's that's interlinking news. That that means you're like linked into your ancestors who are feeding (laughs) you this information. It's like an Assassin's Creed situation. Ah, I see. Yes, you're reliving the memories. Dave realism is the human tendency to believe that we see the world around us objectively and that people who disagree with with us must be uninformed, irrational, or biased. Perfect. Well, whoever that is, I must have been them in a past life. So there we go. It was probably in one of your classes in college or something, and you were hung must over have been. and it went You're in like, and whatever, you didn't know. Yeah. No, he just thinks he's clever as all. <laughs> well, no, right. I'm nowhere near as clever. Well, yeah, I mean, no, it's not, it's not, it's not like that. But, it's, but no, but I think that's that's very, it's 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 all fascinating. It's all kind of interlinked, and it all I think it just boils down to kind of who we are as people. And I think that what really is kind of going on is that we have a hard time. We have a hard time separating, you know, what we feel is happening. And, you know, and theater has a term for this. And this is kind of so I'm going to use my theater background here. So we have a term. Yeah. So we have a term in theater that we, we say it's called suspension of disbelief. And, and, and that term basically means that as a theater goer, when you're sitting in the audience, there is a part of your brain that is aware that there are props and it's a stage. But you suspend your disbelief and you 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 just lose yourself in the story You're and immersed. you and yeah, and you just like you can kind of snap to and realize that you were living in the world of, of this play. But and that's how that that's kind of like a like a thing that happens. You suspend your disbelief. And I think that's what's happening with with a lot of people What they're being bombarded with all this negative rhetoric. They're being bombarded with that. It's the enemy of the other side. And, and, and instead of when they're presented with either facts or with things that contradict that they just suspend their own disbelief in order to continue to feel good. We suspend our disbelief when we want to, Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. we 
we experience a story that we like and that a world that we want to be in, that's why we love the Harry Potter universe because it seems fun and it seems magical and we want to do that. So we suspend our disbelief when we watch the movies and when we read the books. And so if we're suspending our disbelief based on what we're seeing politically, it's because what we're seeing is easy to believe mm-hmm. and it's easy to digest. And so, we choose to do it. Yes, choose it. You know, that's another thing too, you know, just – it being easier to digest and easier to experience, you know, again, that I think that's another uh, look into why our evolution hasn't caught up to, you know, what we go have on today. You know, it's like, it's easy to eat a bunch of sugary stuff, you know, and not think about the consequences because we needed that, you know, back Can't. in the day. Right. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's just like, well, I could just eat hamburgers and drink beer all day long and not have to worry about a thing where it's actually harder to maintain a proper diet and exercise. And, and, uh, it's just interesting yeah. that we go towards what's easy, you know, mm-hmm. life. And, is and always... if you're in a mob and they're all chanting something that maybe you don't agree with, it's a lot easier to just go ahead and either just sit there or even chant with them than it is to stand up against the crowd. Right. right. Because that goes against our kind of primal instincts right. of, I want to be with these people right. and I want, I want to be protected. I want to be in this group. Right. And I think, you know, and I talked about this kind of early when it, when it bring it back to an evolutionary standpoint. And, and cause for me, when Ian and I first got this started, Ian was very scientific and I was very cultural. I'm like, no, a lot of these things will be fixed via the, the way that culture uh, kind of views it because I think culture in, in a sense is it provides the standard kind of morality of what's, uh, the standard like collective morality of like okay we've culturally decided that this is right and this is wrong and then that obviously changes like throughout you know as you move but i was telling ian what fascinated me is that from an evolutionary standpoint because of you know when we industrial capitalism kicked in and then we now live in this this kind of more prosperous world than we've had before we don't have to worry about food as much we don't have to worry about survival as much so our ability to focus on survival maybe evolutionary instinctively is not as strong anymore and i I think it's shifting more towards community because we have covered a lot of those basic survival needs and they're much more accessible than they've ever been before. And so now we don't know what to do as a species because we still have these innate survival instincts, but we're moving more towards a community. And when those survival instincts kick in, it can cause some, some riff within the community. And that's why I have a problem with things like libertarianism when it comes to that, because <laughs> of just people's natural instinct, their survival instinct. And it just, can you really trust them to make the hundred percent well, of their I own choices? That's it. But it's not like you said, well, it's gotten weaker. I don't think it's gotten weaker. I think that's the problem. Mm. I think that we still have these, Oh, I got to survive instincts. Mm-hmm. And we don't really need to focus on that in like a physical sense. So we tend to do it more in like a social context. Yeah. That our, they're saying, hey, you need to protect yourself and you need to protect the people of your herd. And if the people of your herd is a like political group, then you tend to get much more emotional and defensive about it. Yeah, because tribalism is how we survived, you know, yeah. in the United right, States. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's why something, you know, like Twitter can be as as nasty as it is, you know, because you get these mm-hmm. people together who find themselves, you know, in whatever echo chambers that they occupy and they see somebody trying to whatever it's infiltrating the group or acting out against the group it's like we need to squash that out like right now man you know or else it's going to ruin the rest of us yeah well it's that it's the link thing it's that like we Mm -hmm. can't have anyone messing with the integrity of the herd right or we all are weaker because we're all one unit it's that us versus them thing it's a oh god Mm -hmm. there's a there's a word for it and i don't know what it is but it's like there's this con concept that we only have like 
eight spaces in our brain that important people can fill. Mm -hmm. So we like have these important people in those spaces, but when we get low on spaces, we lump people into a group. So if like the important space is my mom and the important space is like my classmates, then those are two. And then I'll use the third one as like uh, my political group. And, uh, and that's, we, we think that is like one entity. Mm-hmm. So not only is including our herd aspect but it's also like making it an important group to us and everyone else is a them and that goes back to the us versus them increases our like realization of attitudes and i also tell this to ian all the time too he brings up nietzsche but the thing that i like to break up most often is i think it's it's a matter of uh, bonnie you talked earlier about perception changes and the, how mm-hmm. we perceive the world. And I think that what's most important is to me, the most important, I guess, conduit of, of changing your perception has to do with the evaluation of context. And I feel like you ha- each situation has its own individual context. And depending on the context, you can morally be different. Like I bring up Aladdin in the paper I'm writing where I go like Aladdin steals, you know, and that's morally wrong. But then you see two kids that are starving and he breaks he breaks his bread and he gives it to these starving kids. And now that has restored the morality because of the context. How did you not go to Les Mis? What? <laughs> <laughs> Aladdin is the Les Mis of our generation. I mean, they probably still. Yeah, I, I mean, they probably still. But it's called. I, well, I guess I read in a book, a, 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 a production book called Save the Cat, where it's the Save the Cat moment where it establishes the protagonist um, by having this like moment where like he steals bread and you're like, wait, is this the bad guy? And then having the scene where he gives it to the starving children is called Save the Cat moment where it, it identifies to the audience that he is the protagonist protagonist of the story but it's just important for context i say like it just people have to look at the context of the situation before they judge it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think that's what that clickbait culture is really against where we read a headline and we get enraged about the headline but we have no idea what the context of the situation is Mm -hmm. we have our emotional reaction based on like eight words and we don't have the whole context of what's going on yeah, and we just jump straight to it, too. It's just so bizarre that right. we'll just jump straight to a conclusion. And without even, you know, Ian and I, we were critiquing some some, uh, t- some Twitter posts because oh, my yeah. favorite thing to do is I get a post and I go, let me actually do some research on this and see if what th- th- they're saying actually holds any validity. And I guess, like, let's let's do one with them. I'd love to see them critique it. Um, okay. Pull up, the, uh, pull up the one where, no, it's the fitness one. Which where one? the education <laughs> lives where he's like, so basically, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'll so he's going to look it up yeah. for it. So it basically, he was On trying Twitter. to equate. We called this guy out. It was we great. called him out. It was it was a lot of fun. But we want. <laughs> I, I basically, Ian's going to find that 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 meme, and yeah. I want you ladies to kind of just basically just uh, let's see. take it with you may and just deconstruct it for us. It's going to be. fun. I'm trying to find the one, but he's. Uh, uh, do you know which one? You it, also said fascination was fun, so I'm not sure what to believe here. <laughs> yeah. uh, he basically said that. You want to require me. You want to require vaccinations. Well, then why not require me to to eat better? Why not require me to exercise? Like you can't require me to yes, be vaccinated. That's false equivalency. Yes, exactly. False equivalency. That's a good word, Anna. Right. Thank you. Because if, if you don't eat right, whatever, and you just get fat, or you're not going to kill unhealthy, everyone, right? You're, the other people aren't going to catch your fatness. Eating a I hamburger mean... doesn't give people plague. <laughs> You're totally right. It's, it's John Stuart Mill's The Harm Principle. If you don't vaccinate somebody, then you're, you're putting everybody at risk. But if, if you don't eat healthy and if you don't exercise, you're only putting yourself at risk. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Exactly. Yep. That's right. Did we do it right? Did we get the right answer? You guys crushed it. You guys crushed it. I mean, he's he's got all kinds of, of right. Fun well, I'm being here. cautious of time. How much lady? How long do you ladies wanted to? You know, I just I, want to make I sure I'm cautious of your time. Yeah, we can start wrapping up if you. But I would like to do this again. This was very. Oh fun. yeah, we can. Oh, we, yeah, absolutely. I would. No, we can keep going. We can go to like 145. You guys want to throw a little extra 15? Yeah, minutes I'm just in curious. There and, you know, where else you kind of wanted to, yeah, to take this? Before but before that, up. you guys can discuss that. I I got to piece something fierce. I'm just gonna. Ian, you're gonna have to take the. <laughs> I'm gonna take the reins. <laughs> Ian, yeah. you finally get custody of the mic. I you know. Talk. Yeah, I can. Talk. I'm gonna give. Talk, I'm gonna talk, give the mic the all the ice cream. I'm gonna give the mic all the ice cream. You know, it's been such a good. It's been such a good boy while over at dad's house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're funny. Don't listen to Josh. You no, are just know. me. I know. I mean, I try. You know, I my I I my wife married me somehow. It's not for my looks. <laughs> married you somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um. No. I. I. It's. This is. This has been fun. Uh. I'm just. Uh. I'm. I learn something every time uh, I listen to one of your guys's uh, episodes. So it's. Uh. I'm glad that we were able to get it together. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to do something. I, I was thinking, uh, Josh and I were thinking that we could do some type of, uh, uh, promotion. You guys usually have the nice little clever, uh, video clips that we basically stole that idea and started to use it for our own. And, uh, yeah. So we have to, you know, try and do something to get this, uh, promoted in some way. Well, we are going to promote the heck out of you guys. Yeah. We, we tried to do that already. Oh, I know. Yeah. You guys are far too nice about that. You're our brothers. We have to. Yeah. yeah. We're together at this point, and sons. brothers and sons. Brothers, brothers and sons. sons. <laughs> it's all the circle of life. Circle That's of right. podcasting life. Yeah, you guys are. I guess technically, we never really did that far into introductions. Um, you know, just to, I guess bring this back a little bit. But you guys have been. You guys got your masters right a few years ago, or like yes. a decade. Okay, and so did you guys both open up your own clinics, or did you guys join a clinic together? I'm just curious. We are currently both an agent. So in, in our state, you have to have a clinical license to open um, your own private practice. And mm -hmm. we don't have that yet. We have to have more uh, clinical experience after our first licensure, basically. But that is kind of our ultimate goal is to open a practice together. Yeah. Right now, we're both in agencies. So we're we're kind of in that world. But but we are both operating clinically. I mean, we're, we're seeing clients on a regular basis and we get to be in that world with them, which is I, very interesting. I 100% agree with everything that was just been said. Yeah, Josh just walked <laughs> in the room thinking that he knows, <laughs> knows what's up. Yeah, I'm just going to nod and say yes, absolutely, everybody. That's great. Yeah, I've, I've been I here the whole time. That. I'll vote for that every great time. Job. Yeah. Also, we I don't want to leave. Yeah, no, that's fine. I don't want to leave anybody hanging. It was a very good pee. I had a great time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for updating. Hey, yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, I really, so, you know, would be curious. Sit down and everything. You'll, we kind of get get a chance to introduce ourselves and tell people what we're doing, which is clinical counseling. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. what are you guys? How, how did you guys come to to do a podcast about this political stuff that you talk about? Oh gosh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, origin um, story time. Yeah, you know, we've got our own comic <laughs> yes. book and everything. Uh, story. No, I mean both both Josh and I, we went to high school together, and um, it's funny enough, our my wife actually, the three of us went to high school together. Um, <clears throat> that's not really relevant to the conversation, but just a fun fact. Anyway, and uh, we kind of <laughs> lost touch. On this, by the way. No, yeah, do, yeah, do it just to, well, you know, and just yeah. to give you guys some clarification. I even, you know, I, I, I know. I guess you have to get to a certain part of the story before I say that. So continue. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're gonna say. Well, maybe I do. I don't know. Um, no. So we we sort of. Uh, I don't want to say lost touch, but we definitely didn't speak for a long time, just because uh, my wife and I moved out of town, and then. 
lo and behold, we walk into one of the local pubs around here and Josh is just standing there <laughs> grinning. <laughs> okay. Well, it wasn't he was quite, it was not quite like that, <laughs> you know, like just for 10 years for you yeah. to show up. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we met and like, I came in with, uh, you know, with, uh, my wife, Tiffany, and we had, um, our little son who was probably about a year old. At I that think he point. was, yeah, it was about just yeah, almost, and, almost a year, maybe. Yeah. Maybe he's right like, Oh, year. Hey guys, uh, you have a kid. So yeah, uh, it was weird. <laughs> so they, they had walked in and I was like, Oh, hi, Tiffany. Oh, Oh, Ian. Oh my God. You guys have a baby. Yeah. Um, cause <laughs> when I, when I knew them, they, I knew them separately. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, the, I mean, I guess what I was getting to is, yeah. <laughs> The baby right. was theirs, yeah. by the way. They didn't steal a yeah, random I baby. I take a baby, you know. He's I should totally... clarify that that was their baby. It was not a he random looks exactly baby. Like me. Um. <laughs> and so, uh, long story short, you know, we just started connecting, and then, um, you know, I officiated his wedding because um, I'm a, an officiant. I've had three weddings under my belt, not to yeah. not to gloat, but but I made a comment because in high school, Ian was very, I guess, eccentric is a is a charitable way of describing that. Uh, basically. How do I, how do I say, I even, I said this at his wedding in front of his entire family. I said, Ian in high school looked like a love child between Rob Zombie and Ryan Gosling. Yes. Yeah. Well, I used to, yeah, I used to, I don't know. I I guess I have the, the sort of crooked, you know, nose that Ryan Gosling has, but I also used to have very long dreadlocks, uh, until probably I was, I don't know, in my early twenties. And Gosling, but yeah. focusing on your crooked nose. Yeah, well, yeah, that's very right. handsome. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I, you know, I don't. Really it's the Rob Zombie that. that throws a wrench in the operation. Right, they're like Rob Zombie, this guy. <laughs> but you know, again, you know, making this long story even shorter, we he started coming over uh, just to hang out quite a bit, and I had been taking uh, you know philosophy courses for quite a bit, and was really interested in that just kind of whole realm, especially in the politics vein of it. And he came over and uh, several times we would just really get into some deep conversations that we thought, you know, we should be talking about these in front of a mic. Yeah, um, we had uh, we had, you know, we just would get together and, and have beers and and I just I'm always yeah. down to have conversation. You know, I've always been one to you know be a conversationalist and, and I really am curious about topics and someone somebody brings up a topic, I'm, a topic I'm ignorant about. I will go do my research. And and then after like a few conversations, I'm like, dude, we should we should record. And, we yeah. you know, everybody's doing podcasts. It's kind of a growing thing. And I'm like and our main goal was to be we wanted to promote like. Uh, oh, what was that? I don't know what that sound was. What is he doing? The internet is turning into a pumpkin. Yeah, oh, that was, uh, yeah, that was strange little. <laughs> yeah, that was a strange little blurb there. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll edit that out. Maybe we'll leave it in. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but, yeah. So we wanted to. We we were listening really heavily into the uh, they called the IDW or the Intellectual Dark Web. We were kind of really into them, and we were reading books, and we thought, you know what, like the only people that are talking about these issues are just either scholars or professors or, you know, and we thought we wanted to bring the conversation more to the common man. So we thought like, or, and woman, and we thought that why don't we show them that we Thank can, you. we can, <laughs> uh, we wanted to show them that we can promote basically critical thinking, intellectual skepticism and self-education. We wanted to really promote right. self-education and prove that, you know, you don't have to, to, to have this blanket of a scholar to be able to talk about these issues that yeah, we have the have access a next to your name. Yeah. We have that. We have access to all it this helps. information and, and we just want to encourage conversation. And then it just, we were off the rails when we first started for the first five episodes and then we did a name change and, and that's it. 
Well, I think that's interesting based on what we've been talking about in the episode is just like expanding your like critically thinking and challenging yourself. I mean, I think I, I feel challenged when I listen to you guys. Uh-huh. Like, I, I feel like my the way I look at politics and the way I, I look at like philosophy even is just being challenged by what you guys are saying. And I think that's important. I think it's important to listen to people who don't share our ideas. And I think it's important to listen to people who are bringing different ideas into our spectrum because then we can open our minds and we can develop those ideas for ourselves. That goes back to what you guys said earlier about how do we tamp down the the herd Mm -hmm. or the mob mentality? How do we tamp that down? And and you guys just explained how you do it. Yeah. Mm. That you you keep (laughs) educating people and you And you put your ideas out there. Exactly. Well, shoot, no need so to make a podcast anymore. You girls are doing a great job. Yeah. Well, no, you know, it was just funny. Anna, you know, you were talking about earlier that, you know, you sort of identify as liberal and, you know, maybe Bonnie is more conservative. And yet you guys were able to have a conversation. It helps, I'm sure, being mom and daughter, you know, and, but Josh and I. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> having that kind of like baseline is yeah. just having we know there's a common ground between us. We know that we're not that different. And right. I think if we all put our opinions out there a little more and and show that we are humans who are having opinions, not just opinions with faces, then yeah. it, it helps. Yeah. And, you know, and Josh and I sort of, you know, took the same stance on thing. I mean, when we when we did change the name, we sort of kept it, you know, as you'll hear in our intro, you know, as like a progressive and a libertarian trying to come together and have this conversation. Now we tend to float, you know, back and forth into those uh, positions, but mainly, I mean, we've gotten into some contentious debates both on mic and off mic, but we remain <laughs> friends mm-hmm. and because we, we know it's yeah. in the spirit of like really getting down, you know, searching for the truth or whatever it is and, and for the sake of the conversation. Yeah, and I also like how, Anna, when you were saying that, like, oh, you know, you guys challenge me or you guys uh, test me, because I think what it is, and you're right about hearing differing views, and I think what I hope for people is by challenged is they hear something, and if you don't agree with it, I think you would, I would rather you either, then that starts a conversation. Maybe you go to your friend and like, hey, these guys said this thing, and I don't know, you know, and because you, and I think the only to... to, Automatically dismissing it because it's not in line you're thinking yeah just try to use that to solidify or to make your own beliefs more like solidifiable and like okay well that's a weird thing he just said so how does that you know and again that's why we use thought experiments a lot as you know it's a big thing in philosophy where it's like okay and i think that i argue that we everybody does it more in everyday life than you realize like how many times you have a friend that goes i would never do that you go yeah well what about for a thousand dollars you know i mean congratulations (laughs) you just put them you just put them into a thought experiment especially like the episodes where we talk about like weird experiments and we we talked about you know the experiment where uh someone was in a position where they had to shock someone and it's like okay if i were there i would never do that but we don't know but it helps to think about that sort of thing just because then it prepares us for that sort of thing as weird as that sounds if you're ever in a position where you're gonna shock someone don't but or do by thinking of those hypotheticals it expands our minds yeah i think it takes an idea and it says does this idea hold validity in this context and now this context and you're just basically workshopping that idea in all different contexts because you might find a context you're like holy crap i would actually do the opposite in this situation you know, and I always right. try to get Ian to go there. You may hear an opinion where you're like, okay, I know solidly that I do not agree with that part of this opinion, but also I kind of do agree with this. So we maybe we do have a common ground somewhere. And I think that's important too. It is. But the problem now I mean, is that most people. <laughs> <Stop it. laughs> 
Let's all sing. Let's we all... are the world. Um, <laughs> I got. I, let me get up. Let me let me get my guitar. Yeah, okay. I'm just kidding. Here's, and here's Wonderwall. Oh yeah. <laughs> Can we play Freebird next? But no, I think you know we're 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 hitting that hour forty five. So I don't know if there's any yep. kind of last closing things you 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 gals want to say and. Plug all of your all of your where we can follow you where we can find oh, you. Oh yeah, guys. great. Yeah. Then you want to plug first. You want us to plug. Then you guys plug. Well, let's you guys plug and then we'll plug. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah. So you I guys mean, started. So we'll end it. That's good. Yeah. So we're well, we're all over Twitter. You know, on Twitter we're at Necessary BS Pod, and then uh, that's our same handle for Instagram, and then we're we have Facebook also, and then we have a beautiful website www. Uh, dot dot necessary necessary BS com. Yeah, thank you because I always forget. You it. always forget. Um, it, yeah. And then we're both on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'm at Modern Overman, and you can follow me there and look at my website too. It's gorgeous, and I have amazing things to and say. And what's the, what's what's the next article you're working on? Oh yeah, so I'm writing an article, sort of in defense of how. Uh, the Game of Thrones writers uh, finished up Daenerys Targaryen's uh, character arc. I think actually everything that she did wasn't, I wouldn't say justified, but justified to her character from the very beginning. That sounds populist to me. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to fight on this one. Yeah. Are you going to yeah. fight on this We're... one? There yeah. we go. Going to have Twitter war or something yep. like uh, that. Yeah. So uh, again, and I'm, I'm Josh Simpson. I, I'm writing kind of this this thing called personal optimism. It's a it's basically the I've dealt with tragedies in my life and I have a very unique way of kind of dealing with trauma and coping with, with how to go. And I want to like, put that into words where people can follow it. So I'm working. It's a working title. I think I'm going to make an ebook. It's, but it's personal optimism, the guide to a reduction of individual suffering, I think is, is what I'm working on there. Uh, and then, and secondly, I, uh, my blog is the only one. So you can find me at the only one blog. And, uh, I haven't written in a while, but I got inspiration. So I have a new piece I'm working on. It's it's basically called "Does Capitalism Provide Individual Liberty?" And uh, the premise is basically freedom, and it's not about the ability to have it. Yeah, but freedom. But the, my idea here is that freedom. It's not about the ability to have the choice. It's also about the capability of being able to make the choice you have. Very deep. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Josh, I think it's very cool that you're talking about, I mean, things that you've experienced in your own life and, and your own trauma, because one of the things we talk about in counseling with our trauma clients is normalization of that and realizing that you're not alone and mm-hmm. that, that universality is so important when you're going through something hard. And so I think I commend you for being very brave to talk about that and to, to let other people know that it's okay to talk about that stuff. Oh, yeah. And I want to, you know, and I want to help people by, you know, and I'll even say it here, like the two big things, you know, my family's gone through a lot, but my father committed suicide when I was 17 or 16, I think. And then my, my brother, as of February of this year, uh, passed away of a heroin overdose. So there's oh, just been a... A lot of lot of crazy stuff going on. So it's definitely, but I've found unique ways of compartmentalizing and looking forward and, and moving forward. And I just want to like use the way that, you know, again, biological luck, my brain developed the way it did. So I'm thankful that I've been able to handle it a certain way. And I kind of want to share that or do my best to share that. So that's also conscious. I mean, I, and you can give your brain the credit that it's due, but you also have to do conscious work about you're making choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, fascinating. Yeah. Well, that's us. Now, yeah, ladies, so one, you yeah, give you, us you all guys, your plugs. Uh, plug, your stuff plug it so up. We can, 
use that. All right, plugging things up. We are also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're all Freudian Sips Pod on all those things. Uh, we're FreudianSipsPod.com for our website. Unlike you guys, we tried to be very consistent with our naming. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. We're also on Patreon. We're Freudian Sips Pod there. And um, I will also extend this to you guys that please go on like iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us nice ratings because we really like that and it really helps us yes. grow so go to Freudian Sips go to Necessary Bullshit and give us a nice rating I... and, and and if you want to give honest critique that's fine too we might cry a little bit a little bit <laughs> but we won't tell you I'm actually kind of upset in the corner. I'm actually kind of upset that I didn't even think about going on and giving you guys a, a review already. Like that's a nice thing that I could have done for this competition. Yeah, I didn't even think really about that. Failing about I'm dropping the ball there. <laughs> I know what I'm doing later this evening. You right there. I was. I was. She learned Some that from me. Some people haven't uh, <laughs> haven't reviewed us yet, so I, I don't know. think we've reviewed you either. So I think we're even. It has been delightful to work with yes, you guys. Thank you guys so much for being on our episode, and we're being on your episode. Yeah. Yeah. Letting us be on yeah. your episode. Yes. Well, thank you so much too. Even though I, you know, I, I do tend to like to speak a lot, and and the word vomit salad. You guys were very patient <laughs> with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we like. Yeah history i I feel like again it expands our brains Mm -hmm. i agree well that's fantastic well yes perfect well now you know where to find us all and and i think this is a good place to kind of wrap it up yeah thank you guys okay thanks so much thank you a lot of fun Bye. bye uh everything that guy just said is bullshit thank you